0: And I'll be in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. And if you haven't been with us for a while, welcome. And if this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad you're here this morning. And so we're in a series in Romans. And I tell you that because Romans has really in the New Testament, the greatest, fullest exposition of the gospel. And it is something that builds on itself. And so, if you need to go back on our website, we have all the sermons we preached so far in Romans. And this morning, union with Christ is our subject. It's the subject of this passage, and union with Christ is a key doctrine uh, in the New Testament. And you see it wherever you see these prepositions attached to the name of Christ. So, you'll see in Christ, with Christ, into Christ. All of this speaks of that doctrine that by justification, through faith, we have been united to Christ. Shorthand for this is what has happened to Christ has happened to us. What he has gained in his ministry has become ours, not through our own work, but it is freely given to us in the gospel. We have been, then we've found out Resurrected with Christ, buried with Him, baptized into Christ. And now we'll look at verses 5 through 14 of Romans 6. And we'll see how, though we continue to struggle with sin, Christ has delivered us from the power and the penalty of sin. So look with me now, Romans 6, verses 5 through 14. Present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, what good news what good news that we have been delivered from the penalty the power of sin show us now teach us what that means in our life that we might understand and live in a way that gives you glory and we pray all this in christ's name amen you may be seated We have a vehicle in our family, and the gear shifter, it's an automatic car, but the gear shifter, you know, that thingy that you push the button and put it into drive, it's a little confusing because you put it into drive, but you don't move it back to put it into drive four, it's a five-speed car, you can just toggle by moving the gear shifter to the left a little bit do you follow me so what i'm getting at it's confusing whether you're in drive or whether you're in drive four because if you bump that shifter you don't have to push a button you go from drive to drive four you go to a lower gear and you know what that does sometimes you can be going down the highway in this vehicle And you're thinking everything's fine, but you listen to the engine and the RPMs are revving a little too high. And the engine sounds like it's straining and you just don't have that top-end speed. Not that I would be trying to find out. (laughs) And you notice, you look down, and the car isn't in the correct gear. It's one gear down. Now, I explain that to you to say, I think there is a lot of straining and effort in the Christian life that really doesn't yield or, or bring about the kinds of fruits that God wants to see. I think there's some straining in the Christian life, and, and it comes from a, a good place. We want to live a life that glorifies God. We want to reflect the very character of God and the savior out into this created order and the world needs to see that there is this straining sometimes almost a burning out in the christian life and we're in the wrong gear and we're in the wrong gear because we have failed to apprehend that which is already true about us And the failure to apprehend what is already true about us in the gospel, what Christ has done for us. The failure to know this, and understand it's not just an intellectual knowing. When I talk about apprehending these truths, you grasp these truths, yes, intellectually, but the truths grasp you. You are apprehended by the truth as you apprehend it. And it moves in your heart so it's not just an intellectual knowing what is true about you and romans 6 is a beautiful place to see what is true about us in christ but it is also how those truths filter down to your heart and eventually your actions and your motivations your desires the things that you do and sometimes i've seen this being in a lower gear as a christian this straining not really with the effort of the gospel and what god has done in our life but really from our own effort and it can lead to apathy and you know what apathy is apathy is meh i don't care and so you think about the things of god the eternal things of god that he has rescued us from a hell, which is eternal damnation, apart from the presence, the the beautiful presence of God. It is only to be in the presence of His wrath against us. To be delivered from that forever, so such that no matter what happens to you in this life, it's okay. Because... For all of eternity you will be praising god for the incredible awesome nature of who he is and and sometimes christians in the face of that truth eh, meh that's apathy and it's apathy because we don't apprehend it and we are not apprehended by it and this is a time for us to come together and to look again to look again at who the Bible says we are and what is true about us, that we might have some zeal and some passion about these, these things. Now, I understand zeal and passion is a function of personality and it all looks different. But the idea is this zeal, this passion is fueled by... The fact that we are united to christ and paul is trying to answer this question look back at romans 6 verse 1 what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound the gospel is so good should we just have the gospel have grace and have our sin too and paul is writing and answering this question and saying of course not it's because of who we are And if you belong to Christ, and what I'm saying by that is you believe, you place your faith in Him, you are trusting in Him alone for salvation, if that describes you, then this is a description of you. And the first thing that's true about you, and there's an outline in the bulletin if you want to follow along, is that you are no longer enslaved to sin, but set free You are no longer enslaved to sin, but you are set free. This is true about the weakest, most doubting Christian. This is true of you. You are no longer enslaved to sin. Now look with me, verse 5. For if we have been united with Him, that's that union with Christ, that doctrine union with Christ. For if we have been united with Him in a death like this... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Look at verse 6, the middle part there, so that we, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, if I tell you we're no longer enslaved to sin because of what Christ has done for us in the faith that we placed in Him, what does that mean? That means there was a time when we were enslaved to sin. There was a time when we were enslaved to sin before we became Christians. And I hope that's true of you, that you have become a Christian, placed your faith in in Christ. To be enslaved to sin is to obey sin as your master. You are not free to make your own decisions. You're only subject to your desires focused on yourself and what you want. Remember, I've talked about it as we all have the same starting line. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. If we go back to chapter, Romans chapter 3, look at the second half of verse 10. None is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We could say there, a summary of that is enslaved to sin, not free. Enslaved to sin. That is our beginning point, but that's not the ending point. Look at verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We have been set free from sin in Christ. The reason why Christ lived the perfect life and then died the death we should have died and paid the penalty we owed to God. The reason he has done this is to set us free to set us free from the power and the penalty of sin we may still suffer the consequences of sin yes we still struggle with sin before christ we did not have the power to resist now we can resist sin we can grow in holiness and we and here's the good news of the gospel we can change it isn't our power it is the power of him who is at work in us namely the holy spirit now this dynamic that before we were enslaved now that we have become christians our life has been transformed we have been set free this dynamic if you turn over in your bibles to titus chapter 3 titus chapter 3 And we're going to look at a passage, I'll I'll just read a few verses to you, Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. And what I want you to listen for as I read this is this dynamic of formerly being a slave and then now being set free. So listen to this, this is, uh, we could call this the gospel according to Paul to Titus. Titus 3, beginning in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, here it is, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of Of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Did you hear it there? Slaves to various passions and pleasures. And then what happened? Uh, did we just get our act together and yeah we just needed some good old-fashioned self-discipline verse 4 but when the goodness and loving kindness of god our savior appeared he saved us he saved us he set us free when i was growing up in dallas in the in 1980 I still remember this, uh, the state legislature passed that there would be a new state holiday called Juneteenth, a new state holiday in Texas called Juneteenth. And there would be picnics, parades. Now Juneteenth, I remember growing up, was still celebrated in parts of Texas and in Dallas, there'd be parades, picnics, things like this. But our state legislature looked and made this a state holiday. You know, it became a federal holiday uh, just recently this summer. And Juneteenth, of course, celebrates the emancipation of, of slaves. It's called Emancipation Day in Texas. But you might have looked this year, I don't know if you did this, into the origins of Juneteenth. And you might know that there was a general, General Gordon Granger, who rode into Galveston, Texas on June 19th, 1865, and he read out general order number three. It goes like this. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. That's the proclamation that he read. And by the way, he brought 2,000 soldiers with him because there were those who were opposed to this general order. There were those Confederates who were still working at cross purposes for the foundational principles of our country. You see, before that proclamation was made in 1865, the Civil War ended two months earlier. So the Civil War was over and the 13th Amendment, which freed slaves, that became part of our Constitution, that was six months earlier. And the Emancipation Proclamation, that was three years earlier. So what I'm telling you is that before General Gordon Granger rode into Galveston in 1865, slaves had already been told three different times that they were free. But he still needed to come to announce that. And isn't it true in our Christian life that we have just read that we are free? And you realize we need him who rides not into Galveston, but him who rides on a white horse right into our heart. To declare to us again that we are free. Isaiah 61:1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He sets then this one who rides into our hearts sets us free that his work on the cross was meant that we would be free both from the penalty of sin and oftentimes we focus on that but not just the penalty the power of sin that we are free from he reads to us a new general order that says my people the people of christ Are informed that through my holy life, sacrificial and atoning death, and the resurrection, all slaves to sin are free. He has declared it. He has won our freedom. Galatians 5:1, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Therefore, what do we do because we're free? Galatians 5.1, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Has Christ set you free, but you're still living like a slave? Are you still living like a slave when you are free? What sin has got into your life, wrapped its tentacles around your heart, and made you believe that you need that? more than you need the satisfaction we have in christ freedom is defined in our world and this is a very bad definition you know how you define freedom in our society i get to do whatever i want that's freedom that's a different kind of bondage true freedom is not getting to do whatever we want True freedom is getting to do whatever he wants. To live the kind of life that he has intended us all, for us all along. To live his way. That is the way of freedom and satisfaction in this life. And he has set us free from sin and the paltry things that we do. He has broken the sin in our, the power of sin in our life. We are able in Christ to resist sin. This is not perfectionism. I've already mentioned we'll struggle with sin. The sanctification project will continue in our life until we take our last breath in this life. We'll never know a day that we don't struggle against sin, but struggle we do and fight we do for the one who has set us free. And We appreciate the government cooperating with us to give us an annual holiday. And next year, I want you to think of this. When Juneteenth happens, June nineteenth, 2022, I want you to think. Christ has set me free. Christ has set me free. So who are you? Remember, we're talking about our identity here. Who are you? We see fundamentally that we are no longer enslaved to sin, but we are set free. Who are we? Second point here, we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is verses 8 through 11. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, if we have died with Christ, remember the prepositions, in Christ, into Christ, with Christ, all points to that doctrine, union with Christ. And the reason why, going back to 6.1, we don't want to have grace and our sin too. How could we desire sin anymore when He has set us free and we owe everything to Him? So verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. So Christ has defeated death at the, cro- at, at the empty tomb, and in this defeat, it's a once-and-for-all defeat of death, freeing us from the power of sin and death. Isn't it ironic in a demonstration of God's supreme sovereignty and glorious power that He uses the instrument of death to free His people? This is part of how God frees us through the death of Christ. So death no longer has dominion over him. Death no longer has dominion over you. Certainly we feel the impact of death's effects in this world, but death doesn't get the final say for the Christian. And look at verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And then here's the application to that. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself dead to sin. That when you sin, there is a need for us to look at that and to say, this is the old way. That's the old way, and I can resist that. In Christ, I can resist and refuse to go back to those old ways to consider ourselves means to think of ourselves and to remember that one of the most fundamental things about our identity is that we have been transferred from a kingdom of death and sin over and set free into the kingdom of jesus christ consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god in christ jesus you know i had a new experience in ministry thursday afternoon new experience for me there were two calves that decided to get out I think the property is somewhere on 46 and you can kind of imagine these two calves were you know recess school is out and they come jogging down Ammon road sampling the grass and of course between here and 46, everybody's got a gate, and these two calves were opportunists, and whose gate was open for business Thursday afternoon, but Trinity Presbyterian Church. So they decided to come to church, (laughs) and there's another gate that was open on our property. Can you think of another fence that's on our property during business hours, that's open. That's right, the calves wanted to go see the life center. <laughs> so I was joking with the superintendent. I said, Well, he, he's going to retire soon after this project. I said, Well, you can check that box calves on the construction site uh, before you retire. And eventually, uh, either they left or, or moved on. We had Kendall County Animal Control involved in that. And I want to tell you that the problem, the issue, was we had our gate open. Our gate was open. Some of you may wonder, why do we have a gate? This is why we have a gate. Our gate was open, construction site gate was open, and they came right in. And that's what happens in our life when we're open to sin, when we're open to our old ways and the influence of the old ways we had in our life, and we haven't apprehended that we are free from sin, that we don't have to go that direction anymore, we, what do we do? We left the gate open. And if you leave the gate open, somebody is coming in. Someone is coming into your life if you leave the gate open. And so, there are things that we can do to shut that gate that by the power of Christ. We can close the gate. It's the better part of wisdom sometimes. If you know, every time I watch the news, I get infuriated. What are you doing watching the news then? I mean, let's simple logic and walk down that road and see how you are leaving the gate open. That if you listen to, and some people like to listen to these podcasts or, or programs where they pick the most outrageous thing that is happening in society right now, the most outrageous thing that is happening, and there's a Christian version of this too, and they talk about it for an hour, pretty much I'm going to be infuriated too by the end of that hour. And you got to wonder if you do that every day, every day you're doing that, that's going to have an effect on your soul, on your heart, on your outlook. I see people getting more negative in this. Uh, I'm seeing Christians getting more and more negative and anxious and worried. Has the truth of God's word changed? Is God still Lord? Is He the sovereign, almighty God of this universe who has set us free? Then what happened? What happened to our perspective? Oh, I left the gate open. And everything, that's right, exactly. Everything has come on in. And so, it's just godly wisdom. Close the gate. He has given you the power to close the gate, to avoid certain situations, to avoid topics of consideration in discussion in this sort of outrage mode that people function in. Close the gate. Consider yourself dead to sin. You know, we'll see, uh, flip over with me to Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Look at this. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision. Make no provision in your life. Don't even make a room. The gate is locked, the chain is thrown up, and it's barricaded. That's the best place to live. So we're talking about We're no longer enslaved to sin. One more point here. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're set free. If we are by faith no longer dead to God, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, we're going to ask this question well, how do we live? I've talked about how do we live. There's two applications here in verses 12 through 14. Two specific applications are mentioned here. I've talked to application already spiritually knowing you are free apprehending that and considering yourself to dead dead to sin lock in the gate we've covered some application already but the last part of our uh, passage here 12 through 14 uh, gives us two more applications look at verse 12. here's the first one let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions you know, often when we give into sin, it is a giving into sin. Yeah, you know, we shouldn't talk like, "Oh, the devil made me do it." You know, few people will say that anymore. The devil made me do it. What they'll say is, uh, "Yeah, you made me do that. You made me do it. If you didn't talk to me that way, I wouldn't have said that rude comment. It's your fault." How many of us have done that? We've You know, if you weren't so stressed, I wouldn't have picked up the secondary stress that splashed up on me from your stress. And we talk that, and here's the thing, that's a giving in, isn't it? Christ has set us free such that let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. When we give in to sin, that is us giving in. The power of Christ can make us resist. So resist. Look at verse 13. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body and make you obey its passions. Verse 13 guides us here. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Doesn't that sound like romans 12 1 to you present your bodies as a living sacrifice it's the same kind of language that we wouldn't leave the gate open we would offer to god all that we are for his glory we would be so busy in service that it wouldn't matter how people treat us and i wouldn't have the opportunity to say well i wouldn't have said that dumb thing had you not talked to me that way because i'm so busy in service to God, and trying to live a life that pleases him. It goes back to the gospel emancipation, doesn't it? That we've been set free. We don't have to let sin reign. You see, it is not a fair fight. If greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, it isn't a fair fight. And we are on the side of victory. So it goes back to our emancipation there John Owen in communion with God so this is the you get two weeks in a row John Owen Uh, it's going to be a good day Uh, 17th century Puritan John Owen in his book communion with God he wrote this. this is 1600s and it's still true today ignorance of our mercies and our privileges is our sin As well as the cause of our own troubles did you get that ignorance of our mercies and our privileges is our sin as well as the cause of our own troubles if christians problems you know what's wrong today it's not that we don't have certain people in office and passing certain laws which are conducive to our own biblical christian ethics that isn't the problem you know what the problem is today christians don't believe that which is already true about them and if they don't believe it and apply it in their lives so that's the first application there let not sin reign in your mortal bodies and the last thing verse 14 for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace The dominion of sin, think of it as a kingdom and a power which expresses itself in the lives of people. We have been delivered from that dominion. We have been set free through Christ. Verse 14, what's the application? Hope. Hope is the application. That in our struggles, and I don't know what everyone is struggling with as far as sin and what's going on in your life, that we would always understand, operate, and live from a position of hope because Romans 6.14 is true. That sin has no dominion, no power over us because we are not under law but under grace. Grace is not a license to sin. Instead, this abounding grace is the reason we hope the reason that compels us to live in god god glorifying ways so we triumph not in our power but by the power of the cross we triumph we have died with christ we are buried with him and yes we are resurrected with him and this is the way of christ And this is who we most fundamentally are. Those who have been set free from sin, we are those who are alive to God in Christ Jesus, and that we are those who do not let sin reign, and we are those who have hope. Let's pray together. God, how thankful we are indeed for your work, which has set us free from the dominion of sin. Set us free from the power and the penalty of sin. Satisfied most fully the wrath of God on our behalf. How thankful we are. We pray that as we will soon leave this place, that we would go out in power to lock the gate, to resist sin, and to live for you. And We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.